Well, good morning to everyone and welcome to The Well here at STSA where we are in our third and final week of a series called Summer Packing List. And as you see up there on the screen, we are talking about three must-have spiritual disciplines. And if you're just kind of showing up today for the first time, you're thinking to yourself, why in the world is there a connection between discipline and summer? Summer is supposed to be the time of no disciplines, supposed to be the time of fun. Well, the reason that we're talking about it during this time is because we agreed during the first week of this series that even though summer is travel and summer is fun and summer is all kinds of good stuff, I know something about you. I know something that's 100% true about you. And that is that you want to grow and be a better person at the end of the summer. Would you agree with that? Everyone here, want, anyone here want to be a worse person at the end of the summer? Anyone here want to grow backwards by the end of the summer? No, you want to get better. You want to grow. Well, the key thought of this series is this, is that in any area of life, growth requires consistency and consistency requires discipline. You know this to be true in every area of your life. Okay. If you want to grow in your career, if you want to grow in a, like you're an artist, you want to grow as you like your athletic abilities or something like that. It requires consistency. So the person who says, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to be a great golfer one day. So I'm going to go out and spend eight hours and or entire weekend just practicing golf and do nothing the rest of the year. Is that person going to be successful? No, the one who's going to be successful is the one who is consistent. Same thing with workouts. Like how many of us wish we could just go to the gym one time, work out for like two hours, three hours, then it all just falls off and everything, but that's not how it works. The one who's consistent and works out a little bit every day, every week, that's the one who's going to find success. And the same is true when it's your spiritual life or in any aspect of life. And the only way to be consistent is you must have discipline. So what we're talking about is three must have disciplines. And the first two that we covered over the past couple weeks were daily disciplines. The first one, if you remember, we talked about the book of hours or the Egbeya and the importance of every single day. We said that's the equivalent of like working out. Okay. That's the importance of every single day. I flex my spiritual muscles just for a little bit. If I want to be strong, when the trials come, when there's hardships, when there's disaster, if I want to overcome anxiety, if I want to overcome all this darkness that's in this world, I'm not going to be very strong spiritually unless I every day lift a little bit of spiritual weight. And we said, that's the book of hours. That's our daily time in prayer, a structured prayer. And then the second week we talked about what's hopefully the complement to that was our time in the chair. Remember I brought that chair up here on stage and we said every day there's a chair in your house. It exists in your house and my house. It may look different, but there's a chair where Jesus shows up every single day and he's there to feed us and nourish us. And just like our mamas taught us, you don't want to leave house on an empty stomach. Okay, we don't want to go out there and be expected to, to overcome all kinds of spiritual problems and trials and hardships and all the difficulties out there. And you're doing it on an empty stomach spiritually. Good luck to you. So every single day, we're going to get in there. We're going to do our daily prayers. And then we're going to feed and be nourished at the feet of Christ in our quiet time. If you missed any of those two, please go to our YouTube page and get, and get caught up on those um, so that you can, you can be on the same page. Because now is the point in time. All right, for those who have started those two habits, let me tell you something very important and then I'll move on to today's subject. But if you have started those habits, I know a lot of people started those habits. Now is the hard time. It's always easy. You hear a nice talk on Sunday, you give it a shot on Monday. But now is the time where you have to decide that I did it a few times, but I started to slip. Now is where you decide, are those habits just like one and done 
like a flash in the pan? Or are those gonna be a real consistent change in my life? Again, it's the person who goes to the gym and did a great job for a couple days, but then you gotta decide, are you gonna be a gym person? Or you're just someone who just shows up every now and then when you get the free guest pass and that's it. You gotta make that same decision spiritually. And just like the gym, actually more than the gym, the gym, but this more than the gym, I guarantee you results when it comes to this. I guarantee you that if you make the time every single day to stretch those spiritual muscles and spend time in prayer and spend time in the word of God. I'm not saying, I'm not saying tomorrow will be the, the, the greatest change ever or, or Tuesday or Wednesday, but I'm saying over the course of three months, four months, five months, six months, seven months, a person who prays Bible every day for someone who doesn't guarantee results. Those are our first two habits. Let's move on to our third discipline. The third and final discipline we're going to talk about that you need for this summer in some ways is a breather for you because in some ways it's easier in that it's not daily. I'm gonna ask you to do something today and it doesn't have to be daily, it's not even weekly. I'm, asking, I'm gonna only ask you to do it one time this entire summer, just one time. But that doesn't mean it's easy to do because the, the, the discipline we're gonna talk about today, if you want to strike fear in the hearts of churchgoers everywhere, churchgoers, non-churchgoers anywhere, if you want to see a churchgoer squirm and be very creative in coming up with excuses why they don't do something, you bring up this topic and you see the creative genes start to go. And you see the squirming, because today what we're going to talk about is everyone's favorite subject, which is confession. confession. I should have had the dun-dun-dun. Let me tell you this. Confession is embarrassing. It's awkward. It's weird. It's uncomfortable. Like we spend our entire lives trying to hide our shortcomings and weaknesses. Like from the minute we wake up to the minute we go to sleep are doing our best to hide certain aspects of our life. Confession means that we go and we announce it and we start telling people about it proudly and we remind them of things they don't even know. We tell them things they don't even know exists about us. And for that reason, most of us, if we're honest, we avoid confession. But I think the reason we avoid it, I don't think, I think the problem is up here. I think we don't understand it the right way. We may have been taught it the wrong way. Maybe movies or maybe our parents or maybe, maybe someone else talked to us about confession in the wrong way. We think of confession as getting in trouble. So we, most of us, if we do something wrong, we hide it so we don't get in trouble. And we think of confession as, why would I go tell all the things that I did bad? And we think of it as like a punishment, like getting called to the principal's office, like, come here, young man, and tell me what you did. And then, you know, you get an assignment of like, take 10 Hail Marys and call me in the morning, or don't do that again, or something like that. Well, I think we have the wrong view of confession. So my hope today is to show you what confession is, why you need it, and most importantly, why your life is missing, what you're missing out on. Because confession is, of all the things, believe me, I'm saying this from the bottom of my heart, confession is one of those things that I've never told anyone you have to do confession. Get rid of the idea that you have to. Confession is a get to. Confession is something I get to do. And I want to prove to you today, I want you to erase what you know in your mind. I want to show you today and prove to you today that we are the luckiest people on the planet, that we have an opportunity to do confession. Because as someone who's on both sides of confession, realize I'm in a unique state here because I am a confess-ee, 
and confess or. I don't know whichever one. I'm on both, okay? I hear people's confessions and I also confess myself. And this past week, I actually did both. I did my, my, my quarterly confession on Tuesday. And then of course, last night, Saturday night, I heard a bunch of confessions. So as someone who's on both sides, I can say this without, without even thinking, without flinching. Confession, the most, by far, the most beneficial habit to your spiritual life is regular confession, by far. I don't even, I don't even think about that for a second. By far, consistent, not one confession, consistent regular habit of confession is the most beneficial habit that you can have in your spiritual life. And the reason is, is because confession is where we receive the healing touch of Christ today. Confession is where we receive the healing touch of Christ, the hand of Christ, the healing hand of Christ. We receive it today in this sacrament. Let's take a step back. Let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this. If Jesus were here today, if Jesus were here today, what do you think he'd be doing? If Jesus was around today, what do you think he'd be doing? We know Jesus is all about change the world. He's all about change the world. So we know he'd want to change the world. But how do you think he'd be doing it? Who thinks he'd be doing it uh, via Twitter? Like posting, okay? Like, you know, the cool little isms. You know, he'd like post them out there and really stick it to the people who the other way. Who thinks he'd be out there with a blog? Who thinks that he'd be, you know, like on the news channels or on, on media or something like that? What do you think Jesus would be doing? Well, I know, I have a guess as to what Jesus would be doing if he was here today. I think he'd be doing exactly what he was doing when he lived on the earth 2,000 years ago. I don't think he'd be any different. So what was he doing 2,000 years ago? Let me bring you some verses. Matthew 9, 35, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So he wasn't online. He wasn't doing media appearances. He wasn't creating a blog. He could have. I mean, the technology doesn't exist, but like he's Jesus. He could have done it. Could have figured it out. But he went around, he walked around, he preached the gospel, and he healed sicknesses and diseases. Next verse, Mark 6, 56. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that, he might, that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. So again, he was touching people and he was healing them. Luke 4, 40. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Now I want you to notice two things. Obviously, Jesus was healing people, making people well, but I want you to notice two things about how what, the verses that we just read. Number one, we see that many, 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 many people were healed. You agree with that? That it wasn't like exclusive. It wasn't like, okay, he healed his followers or he healed the men or he healed the children. It wasn't like that. Old, young. Okay, male, female, slave free, didn't matter. Jesus was healing. He went in the village, anyone they brought to him, he was healing, healing, healing. Masses of people were healed. Agree with me? But then I want you to notice the second thing. Even though masses of people were healed, they weren't healed in mass. They were healed by individual touches. Like Jesus didn't say, okay, I'm gonna heal all these people. And, and then like, okay, gather everyone and said a prayer and like everyone was healed. That's not how it happened. He touched people. He visited people in their homes. Jesus didn't like, mar like put together a potion to say like anyone who drinks this, okay, you'll be healed and just kind of create the formula and send it out. No, 
He connected with individual people, individual people. He touched them. They touched him. He healed mass of people, but he didn't heal them in a mass kind of a way. So if Jesus were here today, what would he be doing? Same thing. I think if Jesus was here today, I think he would be going and touching people and healing people and laying his hands on people. And I think as many as touched him, as we read the verse, were made well of whatever disease they had. I think Jesus would be doing the exact same thing. The only difference between Jesus doing it 2,000 years ago and today is his body looks a little bit different. He would be doing the exact same thing in a different body or a different vehicle. That's why in John chapter 20, verse 21 and 23, this is after Jesus rose from the dead. He said, as the fa- he's saying to his disciples, as the father has sent me, I also send you. Say that one again. As the father sent me, he's talking to the heads of the church, the people who are gonna establish the church. As the father sent me to touch people and heal them, I send you to touch people and heal them. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. So the answer is, what would Jesus be doing? He'd be doing the exact same thing. And he is doing the exact same thing. The only difference is the body. The only difference is the vehicle. Before it was his flesh and he touched people like this. Now it's the church. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the vehicle and it's the sacraments by which Christ is acting in the world today. But the mission is the same and the purpose is the same. That's why Jesus said, I came not to condemn. I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world, to heal the world. And I'm telling you, the church has the same mission because the church is the body of Christ. So here's how I want you to think of the church. And again, this may be different than how you were raised. This is definitely different than what you see portrayed on movies and TV and in culture. So there, for sure, the image out there is wrong. But let me tell you what's right. Is the church, like Christ, is not here to condemn anybody. The church is not here to punish anybody. Confession has nothing to do with you did this and you did this. Okay, now you better, you got to do your time. Like, like as if like you come to me with a sin and I check the chart, be like, okay, for one of those, it's like a week of, it's not like that. When you think of confession, think less of, I'm going to date myself here because I don't know TV shows today. So I know TV shows back in the nineties. Think less of LA law. Think more of ER. Okay. I'm sure there's better shows for today, but think less of the law movie, the law show where it's like standing in front of judge. That's how we think of confession, that it's punitive, that it's about getting in trouble, that it's about punishing us for our wrongdoing. Think less LA law, think more ER, think hospital, think doctor, think it's not about punishing us. Like a doctor doesn't punish you for being sick. You got sick again. What's wrong with you? The doctor doesn't punish us. The doctor heals us. The doctor gives us medicine. The doctor gives us therapy to make us better and yell at us. Find me one time where Jesus made anybody feel guilty about their sin, never. And I'm telling you, the church is the same way. Not the church that you see portrayed on the TV. Not the church that maybe you grew up in that you had a bad experience. But I'm telling you the right, the church has nothing to do with punishing, has everything to do with healing because we don't view sin as a crime. Our orthodox view of sin is not that it's a crime that needs to be punished. Our orthodox orthodox view of sin is that it's a sickness that needs to be healed. But there can be no healing, 
No healing can take place unless we first expose the sickness. And just like at the doctor, if, you want, if you're sick and you go to the doctor and you want healing, first thing he's going to say, take off your clothes, put on this robe. And it's embarrassing and it's awkward and we don't want him to see and we don't want, but there can be no healing without that step. I remember when I first became a priest, everyone wants to do favors, not in a bad way, but like in a like love way, everyone wants to do something like a favor for the priest. So I was ordained as a priest back in the day. And as soon as I became a priest, you know, the guy who fixes cars was like, if you ever need help with your car, you know, let me know. I can fix your car. Thank you so much. And then the person who was like a travel agent, they were travel agents back in the day. Okay. Like if you ever want a vacation with your wife, let me know. I'll get you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. People offering all kinds of stuff. And one of the people who wanted to like help me was a doctor. And he said, you know, if you ever need anything, like, you know, if you're looking for a doctor, like, who's your doctor? I'm like, I don't have a doctor. He's like, ah, you know, I can help you. So I thought to myself, okay, why not? Why not have someone from the church to be my primary care physician? Well, the question of why not was answered on the very first physical exam. <laughs> because it's already uncomfortable getting a physical exam. It's already a little bit awkward. Imagine getting a physical exam from the person who sits in the front row every week that you're preaching to Sunday service. Like it's, and it was one of those things that I noticed very, very quickly. Like I was uncomfortable. He was even more uncomfortable. That's why the whole like cough. Okay. We never did that. Okay. That was kind of like an understanding of like, if there's any issues you let me know. Okay. We're good to go. We never did that. Okay. Because no one likes to expose themselves. No one likes to, 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 un, uh, to show the privates. No one wants to be naked out there in front of everyone, whether it's physically or spiritually. But the only way, the only way to be healed is to expose. Because you know this to be true, that what's hidden can never be healed. Do you agree with that statement? What's hidden can never be healed. That's spiritual. That's medical. That's emotional. That's psychological. Whatever remains hidden can never be healed. What confession about is about at its root. Confession is exposing. Confession is about revealing the sickness that's on the inside, not for punishment's sake, but for the sake of Christ's healing touch upon that sickness. So with that said, here's what I want us to do together. We're going to stop viewing confession as a trip to the principal's office. We're going to stop viewing it as standing in front of the judge to receive my punishment. We're going to view confession as a trip to the doctor's office. Dr. Jesus is there every single time we go to confession. We are going to him and we are exposing and everything we expose, he touches and heals. The more we expose, again, for us, we don't want to expose. You don't want to expose in front of me. I don't want to expose in front of my father of confession. We all want to hide. But the more I expose, the more he heals. So if I expose two things, he'll heal two things. If I expose three, he'll heal three. Like there's no limit from his end. He says, I will heal and touch every boo-boo that you tell me is inside you. So the more boo-boos that you can discover, the more healing that you receive. And the question for us now, okay, what I want to share is I want to share five tips 
about how to get the most out of confession. The most important thing I said is what I've already said it. Okay, it's like the mindset. So that's like the most important thing, but I wanna go five practical tips of how to get the most out of confession so that you get the most amount of healing and you can have the right mindset, okay, on a continual basis. Because maybe some of us have said, you know what, Father Anthony, like with all due respect, what you're saying about confession, I tried it once and I didn't feel anything or I didn't come out any different. Well, remember what I said in the beginning. Spiritual habits are like physical habits. The key is consistency. So it's like someone saying, well, I went to the gym and I did the treadmill thing and I looked just as fat as I was before I, I entered. Okay, yeah, but it's, it's, it's not the one time. It's the consistency. So if you consistently confess, I guarantee you results, but not just one time. So let me give you five tips on how to make the most out of your confession. And I promise you, you commit to the discipline. You put it in your schedule and you stick with it. And I promise you, you'll see results. Five tips. The first one I'm gonna spend a little bit more time on because it's the most important. Then I'll go through the other four kind of quickly. The first and most important tip, the most important tip when it comes to confession is to examine thoroughly. Examine thoroughly. And this is 80% of the process. The 80% of the process is taking the time, not just showing up. Some people just show up at confession. It's like showing up to the doctor. You need to know what's on the inside because he's going to ask you what's going on. It's not that he's going to put his hand and magic wand and heal everything on the inside. You tell him problem A, he, he heals problem A. But if you tell him nothing, nothing he can do. So the first step is looking inside, opening all those closet doors and seeing what is really on the inside. Our problem is we think of life as major sins and minor sins. So we struggle in this area because we're like, okay, you know, I don't do anything majorly wrong. Why do I need confession? Think of it this way. If you were going to get on a spaceship, okay, you're going to travel to a far, 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 far away planet on a spaceship. Okay. What planet do you want to go travel to? Let's go to Uranus, okay? Because that's every, that's every middle school's favorite planet, middle schooler's favorite planet is Uranus, okay? So you're taking a long trip to Uranus. It's fun to say in church, okay? You're taking a long, 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 faraway space trip to a planet, and you know that in order to get there, you got to have your coordinates, you know, 45 degrees longitude and longitude and, you know, seven degrees, whatever it is, and it's very precise. It's a very, very long trip. It's got to be very precise, now, what happens if you say, you know what? Details, schmeetails. What's the difference between 45 degrees and 44 degrees? Is there a difference? It's about the same. Like if I'm going from here to there, okay, and I, you know what I mean? Like, it's not that big a deal. If it's a short trip, 45, 44, 40, like it's not that big a deal. But over the course of millions of miles, is there a difference between 45 and 44 degrees? Absolutely. You're gonna end up way far, way far away from your target. Well, the same is true in your spiritual life. Your spiritual life is not a sprint. Your spiritual life is here's where you stand. You got the rest of your life and you're trying to reach a faraway target, which is the image of Christ. You're trying to get to Christ and you're trying to be like him and follow that image. And I'm telling you, that's a faraway thing. So you know what? What, what, what confession is, it gives us a chance to see. One degree could make a big difference. Two degrees could make a huge difference. So confession is not just like, I didn't murder anybody. I didn't adulter anybody, so I'm good. No, confession is, where am I off? Where's there a degree or two that I'm off? Where's there somewhere where, you know what? It's not a major deviation, but you don't need a major deviation to end up far away 
from your target. And I bet you if I'm on that rocket ship, if I'm on that spaceship, I bet you regularly they're checking their coordinates, regularly checking to make sure they're aiming the right way. Well, I think spiritually the same has got to be true as well. We have to have regular checkpoints to make sure that we are not off. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart, and know my anxieties, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That has to be our prayer when we prepare for confession. Search me, O God, and reveal anything that's inside me, even if it's just 1%. So this could be the way I talk. This could be my relationships with my friends. This could be how I deal with stress at work. This could be my hobbies. This could be my anxieties. This could be how I am with my enemies and the people who talk bad about me. This could be how I deal with people online. Like whatever it may be, don't be afraid to dig deep and search and open those closets because again, what is hidden cannot be healed. And the more you expose, the more you will benefit and find healing. The other thing I'll tell you is I would encourage you to write it down. Again, as someone who listens to confessions, I get a lot, this is not a criticism or anything, I'm just telling you who I think benefits the most from confession. I'm not saying you have to do it this way, we're all different. But some people show up at confession and they're like thinking through it on the fly of like, you know, and I think it was, and that's like, that's fine, but the ones who really benefit, and I can tell the minute someone sits down in confession, I can tell the person who has spent time preparing and that person who is thorough in their evaluate and their examination, that person who is thorough needs only a minute with the priest. Only a minute. Two minutes max. That's all I really need because they were thorough in their examination and they went through and they have a list and they know exactly versus the person is like, well, I think, what was his name? And oh, that, that, like that's, that's the one that you're going to spend a lot of time and have very little benefit versus the one. I actually do think there's a direct correlation between time and benefit. Okay, just my personal opinion because the one who has thoroughly prepared spends little time, major benefit versus the one who is not thoroughly prepared, long time, long discussion, a lot of stories, a lot of discussion, but in the end, minimal benefit. How often should I confess is a question that I get often. How often should I confess? Well, your physical health, how often should you get a physical? Once a year. How often should you check your teeth? Twice a year. What's more important, your spirit or your teeth or your body? Your spirit. So I would go, my system is quarterly. And that's not like, that's not like in the Bible where it says quarterly, it's not I like that, but I'm like systems. So I confess three, six, nine, 12. That's when I can do a confession. I can tell you when I just confessed this past week, I confess in month three, six, nine, 12. It's very systematic. March, June, September, December, have a system. Once the calendar hits June 1st, I say, uh oh, Marianne, we got to find a time for confession. Systematic. And you say, what if I don't need it every three months? I would say, number one, you do. <laughs> and number two, the worst thing to do is to wait till you need it. Like the worst thing is to let your teeth get to a state where the dentist is like, you need to come in this week or else. I don't want to get to that state. I don't want to ever get to the root canal and the drilling and the stuff like that. I want to be ahead of it. I don't want the, the, the heart doctor guy to say, you need to do this right now. I want to be ahead of it and say, how do I avoid needing it? Like whatever it is you do with the drill and the dentist, whatever you do with the heart guy, I want, what do I do to avoid that? What he's going to say is come in regularly and that's the way you prevent it. 
Because every major sin started as a minor sin, as a minor deviation. So why wait till the car collapses to pull it in and get it checked out? Any big sin started as a minor sin. Anytime someone steals, no one starts with stealing. Stealing begins as greed. And I want to catch it while it's just greed. Anyone who commits adultery and a lustful acts, it doesn't begin that way. It begins with lustful thoughts. I want to examine it right there. I'll tell you the number one, and I tell you this all the time, anyone who comes to sit with me in confession, the number one sin that I think so often we just leave it, leave it, leave it, and I'm telling you, once it's in there, I guarantee the car's gonna collapse. I guarantee you, if this is in there, it's bitterness and resentment. Don't wait for the bitterness and resentment to lead to something really bad. I promise you it will. Bring it into the shop, okay? Let, let, let the priest, you know, pull you into the shop right there and let's get it healed and let's get it solved before it leads to a major disaster. Any big sin started as a small sin. Number one was examined thoroughly. Number two, we'll try to run through these a little bit quicker. Number two was repent sincerely. So you, you haven't showed up at the priest yet, okay? You have, you're just all in your room right now. You examine yourself thoroughly. Number two, you repent sincerely. Repentance is one of those words that is misunderstood because so often we conf confuse repent with an emotion. And we think repent means cry. And we think repent means like some kind of feeling I'm supposed to have and I don't have those feelings and I don't cry. Repentance has nothing to do with a feeling. There may be a feeling, there may be an emotion, like I'm not saying it's bad, but the two are not the same. St. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse nine. He says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. See how he's making distinctions. Sorrow and repentance are not necessarily the same. Your sorrow led to repentance for you were made sorry in a godly manner. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world, the sorrow of the world <laughs> produces, I said sorrow, he's crying. So, I mean, it's like sorrow cried. It's right on cue. The sorrow of the world produces death. Repentance has nothing to do with a feeling bad. It may include that, but what repentance is, the word repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means to change one's mind. It means to make a U-turn in your head, which means that the way you view sin, here's the way I view sin, to change my view on what sin is. And I understand that, 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 that that's difficult, but let me give you an example. Let's say two people come to confession, both of them drank too much and they're confessing that they drank too much, they got drunk, or they got way past where they should have, and they did stuff. One person may say, I'm sorry, I drank too much. Another person may say, I hate the sin of drinking. I know I have a problem. I know it's killing me. I know it's killing my relationships. I use it as a cover to hide all the other stuff that I don't really want to deal with, or I do it just because I want to look cool in front of others because I don't want to be like the guy who doesn't. And I'm just trying to create a persona for myself. Those are two very different situations. They both, both may say the same thing, which is I drink too much. I shouldn't do that. But one has repented versus the other just feels bad that they did something dumb in the end. You see the difference? When you're in, the, in your examination, what you need to do is try to get to the root of the sin. Try to get behind the action. Try to get to the thought process behind it. And what you most of the time discover, for, not all the time, but I'm just, I'm, I'm speaking generality here, so not everything applies to everyone. 
But really, often what it is, is we don't see the sin as a big deal. We see the sin as like, you know what, it's not that big a deal, or there's no real harm to it. So we confess it, but we haven't really repented about it and don't feel like it's really causing me the harm that it is. Let's say, for example, you lose your temper a lot. And you come and confess it and say, I lost my temper. But are you really convinced that it's your fault? Or is it just like, well, I lost my temper because my wife did this. Or I lost my temper because my kids did this. Like, that's someone who's just saying I lost my temper. But like, the repentance is like, it's me, it's not them. No more excuses. You know when someone apologizes to you and they're not sincere, how do you feel about it? When someone just says sorry and they don't mean it, can you tell? Do you think God can tell? Repent sincerely. Number three, change practically. So repent sincerely means inside. Change practically means outside. Because the measure of the inside is always the outside. What the measure of the inside is always the outside. So if I truly change my viewpoint, it has to lead to a change of action. If you really believed, if you really believe right now that you just won the lottery, you just won $10 million, would it change the way you behave the rest of the day? Absolutely it changed. If not, you're a liar. Of course it would change. It would change. Are you kidding me? If I thought I win $10 million, I'd say, Mary Ann, we're going out for a good restaurant tonight. Like, no more Taco Bell value meal. Like, we're going to Chipotle tonight, okay? Like, we're living on, living extreme tonight. Because if you really believed, if you really, really, really believed, it would change the way you act. Well, same thing when it comes to repentance. An inside change, when it's sincere, has to lead to an outside change. And usually the outside is the measure of the inside. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 3, 8. He said, therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Now, when I say change, this is again, sometimes how we get tripped on the other side of it. Some people will say, I guess I didn't really repent because I fell into the same sin again. No, when you repent, it doesn't mean you're never gonna sin again. It doesn't mean that you're never gonna fall. What it means is, is that you're going to keep on getting up and fighting. And when I say change, what I mean is try a new strategy. Pray about it harder. Try to avoid this. Maybe end that relationship. Maybe invest more. Like, it just means that I'm not just sitting there saying, I'm sorry and I hope it doesn't happen again. No, there's got to be a change. There's got to be a new strategy. There's got to be a new plan. There's got to be, I got to get an accountability partner. Or I need to stop going to this place. Or I need to change jobs. Or I need to stay away from this person. Like, there's got to be something in there that shows that I'm fighting. Doesn't mean that I'll be perfect, but it means I'm gonna strive for perfection. There's a great story in our, in our church history about a saint, Saint Moses the Strong. Some of you may have heard of him. Saint Moses the Strong was a very bad guy. He was like a thief and a robber and an adulterer and like a, like a bad guy. Then all of a sudden he got converted. He converted, Christ appeared to him and spoke to him and God, all this kinds of great stuff. And he became a great saint. He repented, he actually became a monk. Did he stop sinning? Once he converted, it was all of a sudden, all his sins, was, he never sinned again? Absolutely not. The difference was that he started fighting. All his bad habits didn't go away, but it meant he started fighting. And every day he fight a little bit more, fight a little bit more, fight. Again, it's back to the gym. It doesn't mean that when you repent, all of a sudden you're the strongest person in the world, but it means that you're fighting and you're fighting and you're fighting. And one of the stories goes that in one night he was tempted. 
so much that he would go to his father of confession. Every time he was tempted, he would go and confess. And he confessed in one night, 19 times in one night, which we do not recommend, okay? <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay. This is back in the day. He confessed one night, 19 times. And he was discouraged. And every time he went to confession, his father of confession said, don't worry. And he encouraged him and he would go back. And he, that's what change means. It means keeps on fighting, keeps on fighting. And he said something nicely, okay, in his, in his writings. It says, only slowly do the rays of sunlight drive away the night. Only slowly do the rays of sunlight drive away the night. Meaning that when I'm living in darkness, it's not like turn on a switch and the light and all the dark. No, the sun comes up slowly. He's saying that same thing that he's fighting. He's fighting. He's fighting. Repentance is not perfection, but striving for perfection. So we said examine thoroughly. That's the first step. And the next thing I do is I repent and I'm sincere. Change of mind. And that change of mind leads to a change in my action practically. And now it's time to do the priest part. And now it's time to confess and confess immediately. Now it's time to go to the priest and sit with him in confession. Not because the priest is forgiving my sin. The priest is, the priest is just the vehicle by which Christ touches us. Remember we said that. It's healing, touch of Christ. The priest is just the body of the vehicle by which the touch takes place. Confess immediately. The longer you delay, this is an important point. The longer you delay, the more you risk your heart hardening. Think of it like soil. Soil now is mushy, okay, and wet. But if I leave it, and if I leave it, and if I leave it, and if I leave it, if I water, okay, it goes back. But if I leave it, and if I leave it, and if I leave it, and if I leave it, what happens eventually? It dries up and you throw it away. And I'm not trying to scare anybody, and this is not scaring, but this is just truth. The truth of the matter is, if God is working in your life today, if God is convicting you of sin today, if God is revealing to you that you need healing today, why would you wait till tomorrow? Confess immediately. Don't delay. Like a car engine running low on oil, low on oil, low on oil. Low, add more, no problem. Low, add more, no oil, no problem. But once it hits that point where it runs out, you don't want to get to that point. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the, in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say, because I don't want you to misinterpret this. The window of opportunity for you to repent. There is a window... And I don't want to say it closes. I'm not saying it closes, but I'm saying that window does narrow. It never closes, listen carefully, never closes from God's side. From God's side, the window is always wide open. Anyone who comes to me, I shall by no means cast out. The window is always open from his side. But I'm saying from our side, the window gets a little bit narrower. And if I don't take advantage, it's going to lock up. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's some tough stuff. But I'll give you a prime example that I hope none of us ever, 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 ever in this situation. Remember when Jesus was crucified on the cross? There was two thieves crucified with him. One on the right, one on the left. The one on the right said, remember me, O Lord, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He said one sentence. The guy, this is like everyone's favorite saint, okay? When we were in high school and we wanted to live bad lives, okay, this is our favorite saint. He lived a horrible life. One sentence at the end, boom, first guy in heaven, like he's sitting in first class in the kingdom of God. So like, this is the great. He had it right there. 
Now there was a thief on the left side. The thief on the left had the exact same opportunity as the thief on the right. And I think, if I'm thinking to myself like, this guy, you're a real dum-dum, okay, that you, that, that, that you let this opportunity slip by. Like you, like we say, if I was on my deathbed, if I, you're on your deathbed, and you know that you got not like days, you got like 15 minutes max. That's how much time you got left. Even if you don't believe, buddy, say I believe, like just tag on to the other guy, say something. Say like, I may give it a shot, but he didn't. He didn't. And he critic, not, uh, like ridiculed Christ and he rejected Christ. His window of opportunity is soil, that engine. He had, he didn't have sermons. He didn't have Bible studies. He didn't have Father Anthony the Great Preacher giving him nothing. He didn't even have St. Paul. He didn't have a Pope. He had Jesus himself. Like he could have reached out and touched Jesus. He was face to face with the king. Like if there's ever an opportunity, there's ever an opportunity, but he couldn't. Why? Because he missed it. Window closed. And I don't want that to be any of us. From God's side, does the window ever close? No, everyone shake your head. No, window never closes from God's side. Never, ever, 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 ever. But I'm saying from our side, there comes a point. We reach that point where, you know what? And I never want that to happen. That's why when I say confess immediately, we have confessions, for those who don't know, every single Saturday night. No appointment needed, no registration, no, like, you don't need. Every Saturday night, we have Vespers at 7 o'clock p.m., and then after, after Vespers, we have confessions. No appointment. It's like the barbershop. You just come, first come, first serve. So you just kind of keep on going. And I think that is very important that you as a member of this church family know that you know exactly when we're serving. Like communion is not something, it's not like you have to ask me like, can I have communion? No, every Sunday, it's on the schedule. You know exactly when that is. Same thing with confession. You don't need to ask. You don't need to think about it. It's every single Saturday. So you're never more than six days away from receiving the healing touch of Christ. Because our hope is not to put any obstacles in your path, but you have to actually take the step. So confess immediately. And then the last one, this is the best one, after you've confessed, is celebrate joyfully. Celebrate joyfully. We used to do this as a family. We would go to confession together. Um, like we would all go and confess, and then we would always go out and party afterwards. Go out for pizza, go out to Dave and Buster's, all right, go out, you know, for Costco, okay, like and get the ice cream things, like whatever it may be, like that's where we would go because we wanted our kids to connect, to make a, a connection between confession and celebration because that's what it's supposed to be. You know why? Because heaven celebrates when you confess. This is what Jesus said in Luke 15, 7. I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 just persons who need no repentance. Confession equals Let's party. That's what confession is. And I'm telling you, if you do it right, that's what you're going to feel too. That's how I felt on Tuesday. I told you, I just went to confession this past week. Because I showed up on Tuesday, like in my mind, I'm, a, I'm kind of a, like a, a visual person. So in my mind, I'm carrying a bucket full of dirt and stains and sins. I'm not carrying it like this, like carrying it like this. I'm showing up with all kinds of junk that I've accumulated over the last three months and that are just on me and they're stained and they're sickness and they're diseases and they're deadly and they're cancer and they're termites and they're all that stuff. 
Then I showed up. I said two or three words to the priest. He said two or three words back. He put his hand on my head and all was gone. All was gone. 10 minutes, the whole thing. Well, Marianne was with me. She usually takes a little bit longer, okay? But the, oh, my part of it, because about seven minutes, her part is usually a little bit longer. I walked in one way and I walked out completely different way. And the best part is I didn't pay a penny. 100% free. And I say that jokingly, you're like joking, but I've told this to other people who are not part of the Orthodox Church. And when I explain what confession is, they, one person actually told me, they're like, wait, you do that for free? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, in my church, they would charge me for that. They would call that counseling and charge me. And I'm like, sign me up. Like, I didn't know that was an option. Like, we could do fundraising that way or something like that. <laughs> but I'm telling you, greatest feeling on the planet. And it's available to you every Saturday night. Doesn't cost you more than 10 minutes of your time free of charge. And if you say, Father Anthony, you're exaggerating. And when I say to you, come and see what you got to lose. Try me. Well, I'll tell you what you got to lose. You got to lose your sin. <laughs> you got to lose your guilt. You got to lose your burdens. You got to lose all the stuff that you're carrying. That's what you got to lose. Come and see. We even, in, in your handout there, okay, there's a QR code at the very back of the handout. And if you scan that, there's a little guide that we put together of how to do confession. And in it, I don't even talk about 10 minutes. In that guide, I say seven minutes. It's a seven minute process. The whole thing of confession is seven minutes when it's done properly. I truly believe that. But come and see. The only thing you got to lose is stuff that you don't want to carry anyway. Because the bottom line is, again, I hope you believe the sincerity of the statement I'm about to say. I truly believe that confession is the answer to so many problems in this world. So many problems that we are carrying. Confession is the answer. Because if you tell me, what, what, what do people struggle with today? I would say people struggle with guilt. I say people struggle with, with shame. I say people struggle with confusion and not knowing what God wants for me and where God wants me to go. And I'm telling you, confession is the answer. I'm telling you, I know people who struggle with, how do I know I'm forgiven? How do I know I can be accepted by God after I did B, A, B, C, and D? And I'm telling you, that's what confession is. It's a tangible hand on the top of your head and a tangible voice saying, your sins are forgiven, go in peace. You are forgiven, you are accepted, you are loved, you are healed, go in peace. It's a tangible because God knows that's what we need. And all you got to do, show up. I'll leave you with this quote here by one of our bishops, who's a modern day bishop. His name is, is Grace Bishop Benjamin. He's from somewhere in Upper Egypt. And he said something one time a long time ago and I held on to this statement. He said, the mystery of confession is where the Holy Spirit takes the action of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and applies it to the sin of the individual. In the same way that when we come here together on Sundays, the liturgy that we celebrate is our connection to the Last Supper, the, 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 the final meal that Jesus did with his disciples. The liturgy of the Eucharist is our connection to that event. Confession is our connection to Jesus on the cross, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Confession is how I mysteriously, I place myself at the foot of the cross and I hear those words, not spoken over multitudes, but spoken just over me. Question is what you're gonna do with that. What are you gonna do with that gift? I hope I've convinced you to at least give confession a try. I hope I convinced you that confession is not about punishment. That confession is not a I have to, but I get to 
But now you say, I may be convinced, but now the final step of convince is do something about it. Because all the goodness and the healing touch of God, think about it this way, all the goodness and healing touch of God, confession is the doorway which leads to it. And the question for you, I'm asking you, is how wide is that door going to be? How much of this storehouse of God's blessing and God's forgiveness and God's grace, how much of that you want? You're going to open a tiny little door like this? Or who wants to be one who wants to open it wide and receive the fullness of what God has? That's my prayer for you, that you would once this summer, once this summer, before the end of the summer, give confession a try. Right? Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the church and for the gifts and the mysteries that you've given us inside it, things that we don't understand. We don't understand 1% of what it is that we have available at our fingertips. Help us, Lord, to take advantage of this and not just to leave it on the shelf, but to receive your healing touch through this gift of the mystery of confession. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.